Welcome to another episode of Resonate Radio. We have a special panel discussion today. Uh, it's a topic that really means a lot to me, something that I've seen uh, so much going through as a consultant uh, in the industry. And now I have the pleasure to bring this perspective uh, to the, my horticulture class. Uh, and I can't wait to bring this conversation to more people in the cannabis industry, frankly. Uh, I'd like to welcome Dr. Duran Kaplan and Tad Hussey to Resonate Radio today. Uh, of course, having followed the great Tad Hussey's podcast, I love to give my guests the opportunity to introduce themselves. So without further ado, uh, Dr. Kaplan, if you want to go first, uh, give yourself a short introduction and let's get rocking and rolling today on Resonate Radio. Thanks. Thanks, Corey, for having me. It's always a pleasure to, to, to chat with you and Tad as well. I'm Darren Kaplan. I'm a horticultural scientist. I specialize in controlled environment plant production. Uh, I have a PhD in cannabis production specifically, uh, and I was the first in North America to get a PhD in that area. Uh, my career progression kind of started off in academia. I, I worked in, um, in for a private cannabis company as the director of research and development, and I worked uh, in conjunction with Scott's Miracle Grow uh, to develop and to run their uh, Kelowna research station, where we focused on developing horticultural techniques specific for cannabis. Uh, and that was my most recent position. Now I'm working as a crop consultant and agricultural consultant in the cannabis space and uh, continuing to get deeper and deeper into cannabis horticulture. Wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate it. Tad, go ahead, brother. Sure. My name is Tad Hussey, and I have a company called uh, Keep It Simple Organics or KIS Organics. And uh, my background is growing up with uh, my parents owning a nursery and landscaping business and uh, from there got my interest peaked into horticulture and uh, so I went back took some classes and uh, started this business and so what we specialize is in um, what a lot of people call living soils within the cannabis industry um, as well as just working to improve the quality of soils um, and uh, provide products to the cannabis industry here in the US and in Canada. Uh, beyond that, we have a consulting company called Kaizen Consulting, where I work, I partnered with a, a local cannabis facility uh, that does a lot of research and development for me uh, called Gold Leaf Gardens. And then I also host a podcast called Cannabis Cultivation and Science, where I've had a variety of wonderful guests on, including. Uh, Darren here who uh, came on and shared some of his research that he's done um, within the last couple of years. So honored to be here. Wonderful. Uh, I'm uh, completely uh, honored to have you both here to say the least. Uh, Tad, you know, I've definitely mentioned your podcast a few times uh, on Resonate Radio. So I'm sure everybody has at least had one listen. And uh, I've even subjected my cultivation technicians to it all the way out in New Brunswick, uh, playing it as we're, <laughs> as we're pruning the plants, my friend. So uh, yeah, I've done my awesome. best. I've done the same. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. I appreciate that, guys. Thank you. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I learn a lot from all the all the wonderful guests. So it's been it's been great. Is it is it sick to admit that I, I might have replayed some of your episodes, Tad, for just some of my friends when they come over to hang out? Is uh, is that a bad thing to admit? <laughs> well, you know, for I'm working on another podcast that's for people who are not into the cultivation side of the cannabis industry called dope history. And that one is really what I'm looking to put out to, you know, your friends, people who want to learn more about where this industry came from, who the, you know, original people were who really shaped 
the industry that we have now to where, you know, people like Dr. Kaplan can actually get a degree in uh, cannabis cultivation is, is pretty astounding. So I'm really excited to start sharing those stories. So that'll be more of a, more of a fun one for people than the science-based cannabis one that we're currently, it's currently out there. That's cool. Yeah, I'm yeah. excited to see that one come through, to say the least. I know it's uh, you know been the project in the works, but uh, I mean, that really brings you, and it's a good segue for us to start off the conversation. I mean, there's been this really, you know, with cannabis going legal and, you know, working inside of the large scales, there has been this transition that we've been having within the industry. And there's a lot of, you know, difficult conversations that are having on cultivation floors. Uh, you know, people, frankly, aren't really speaking the same language uh, as far as, you know, growing and growing is concerned. It comes from more of, you know, whether it's the tense uh, type of methodology that's happening or, you know, just not book really anything science related is just kind of their feelings. Um, I kind of wanted you to, you know, bring that forward and talk a little bit, you know, you have a really good horticulture background. Uh, it's inspiring to a lot of people and you've been able to kind of come up against people that have really or come together with folks that are just straight cannabis backgrounds. They don't really have too much horticulture, uh, you know, science uh, behind them. So I was wondering if you could kind of, you know, highlight you know, what are some of these things that they can actually agree on or what are some, cause there's a lot of things, you know, it's like, I think people are, you know, expecting us to go down a little bit of a road of like talking about all the bad things, but I wanted to start it off in the positive way. What have been some of the good experience that you've had where you've been really able to bridge that horticulture, you know, culture with the cannabis culture and start off on the right foot immediately uh, instead of some of this real, you know, tension filled grow rooms that we're seeing honestly around the world. Yeah, just to give a little, I guess, context, uh, the reason I started the podcast was because I came from a background that was more horticulture based, having uh, growing up on a plant nursery, um, not being around cannabis until uh, much later in life, uh, you know, into my late 20s, early 30s. So um, for me, it was a bit of a shock, you know, trying to discover uh, and learn about how to grow cannabis coming from growing ornamentals and growing vegetables. And I know a lot of what happened here in Washington state is sort of the exact opposite and, and kind of around the country where when things became legal, you saw cannabis growers moving to more horticultural methods or trying to grow on scale. Um, but, you know, having a background of having grown intense or, you know, 30 plants in your basement, well, that doesn't scale well to a greenhouse. It's not, it's a completely different situation. Even going to an indoor facility, controlled environment agriculture, you still, uh, you still can't scale effectively. And so that's where, um, for me, I realized not only was there just a big gap between um, the cannabis industry and the horticulture industry, but you had a huge passion coming out of the cannabis industry, but just not enough uh, knowledge you know, um, in terms of how to, how to grow plants, because a lot of it was, you know, a lot of it was, um, before they could ever, you know, access this information just because it was all black market. So, uh, that was, that was the biggest challenge I found. And you, you are seeing, you know, uh, I, I think the industry move more and more towards incorporating a lot of what, what we, a lot of the habits, especially on IPM that we use in the horticulture industry already, uh, just because it, a lot of it, frankly, it works. And the whole goal here is to get, you know, a successful crop. And that's not to say that these legacy growers don't have a lot of skill and don't have a lot of talent and a lot of knowledge that they can share back with the horticulture industry because they, they absolutely do. And I don't want to discredit that by any means, but we did see a lot of failure uh, right off the bat 
when things became legal just because of this this challenge this gap in knowledge because you can't go into uh, a hydro shop and buy nutrients that are you know incredibly expensive you know 20 30 even 100x what you would pay in a garden center you know and then expect to run a commercial facility off of those nutrients when you know, by learning about, uh, you know, how plants grow, understanding, you know, macro and micronutrients and basic plant physiology, uh, people can begin to, to, you know, scale that process a lot more affordably and a lot more effectively. Yeah, I completely agree with all of what, what you said there, Tad. I think that the knowledge gap is, I think it can be underestimated at times. If you look at traditional horticulture, there's, you know, last 50 years is probably billions of dollars that have gone into horticultural research and extension work. So the, you know, the government ensures that universities have people who are going and working with, uh, with farmers and with, uh, with growers to make sure that they can grow their crops effectively. They can produce things at a reasonable cost, their subsidies, things like that. Uh, and you know, the body of the, the literature is, is huge. And, um, if you're trying to get into a new crop that you haven't been into previously, let's say you're going from carrots to kale or something like that, you know, you can pick up a book and you can read about it. But if you're trying to go from tomatoes to cannabis, that you don't have that same luxury. And so it, it really, the, the, the gap between traditional horticulture and kind of modern cannabis cultivation at scale is really big. And you can see that you know, from working in the industry for a while now, um, kind of starting off when really there was no, it was the very be beginning of bridging that gap. You can see that there's tre tremendous efforts being made. Uh, like growers are trying to learn, trying to kind of bring over traditional horticulture techniques and, and IPM. That's a great example because it's one that's easily transferable. But uh, there's still some, there's still a gap. Um, for example, in the kind of cost of production, there's still kind of a mentality in cannabis where you know cost of inputs is not something that you have to think about that much. And it's as the the industry becomes more competitive and the price of cannabis goes down cost of inputs and, and cost of labor, you have to think about that more and more. Uh, and those are things that all farmers have to think about all the time. Uh, and so it just slowly kind of, they're, just, they're slowly coming together. Uh, the research will be a lot slower than, than everything else, I think, because research takes a long time, but it does seem like there's a lot of positive coming, coming, uh, coming out of cannabis growers learning from traditional horticulture and also traditional kind of horticulture scientists and growers learning from some of the techniques from, from cannabis growers that have been doing it for such a long time. Yeah. You know, I would add, add to that too, that one of the most exciting things about being in the cannabis industry is that that research isn't there yet. So we have the ability to actually, you know, have an impactful change and, you know, for myself, not being a researcher, but working with a facility that has a PhD scientist and is able to do statistical analysis and proper experimental design, um, allows us to do the preliminary preliminary research to where we could take an idea, um, test it and then say, okay, well here, here's something that we see as being, um, an area worth worth investigating at the university level so that to me is probably the most exciting thing about this i mean you don't get new crops in the industry anymore so that's really fun um yeah. and then and then the other thing that i think is really um interesting too is that a lot of these legacy growers um are, are pretty pretty incredible i don't want to understate that um you know, when we talk about controlled environment agriculture, there's very few commercial crops that are grown indoors. I mean, I mm -hmm. think of basil being grown under glass and, and tomatoes and some of these others. But when we talk about growing indoors in a facility under artificial lighting, um, th the amount of research on that even is quite small. So um, 
you know, there's a lot of really interesting work being done. Uh, lighting technology is improving, you know, it feels like daily. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that's the, the biggest thing is it's not so much that um, the, the cannabis industry is behind, but they're sort of kind of coming at each other on parallel paths um, in terms of their knowledge. And we're just trying to bring them a little closer together because I think they can both learn from each other. Yeah, I, For sure, yeah. I agree on that big time. That's the one of the, you know, out of all of the different facilities that I've been into and just witnessing all these conversations. Uh, and that's actually why it's called Resonate, Tad, is for the two sides to actually resonate and come together because mm-hmm. I realized that the value that both of those groups can offer each other is really unbelievable. But unfortunately, you know, there's, there's human beings involved. <laughs> and so egos kind of come into play and it just becomes this really, you know, like anecdotally, one of the rooms I walked, one of the grow staff meetings that I walked into, uh, they brought on this uh, gentleman who had 25 years of vegetable propagation production. He's got one of the largest uh, spaces in the Pacific Northwest. And, you know, he sat in front of a group of men and said, if you don't like the way this is going, you guys can get the f- out of here, just right out in front. And I was like, that's not the right way to start off uh, a relationship or even a working or like any sort of, you know, uh, basis where you want to have teamwork uh, is going. So that's one of the things that yeah. it seems that is kind of the biggest frustration. And, you know, what you're speaking about is that, you know, as legacy growers have this huge, we do have value, but it's not really actualized or realized um, from, you know, quote unquote, that camp and very, you know, vice versa. Um, I feel that and I've heard, you know, unfortunately, from a lot of uh, people in these positions of power where they say, you know, I don't trust somebody who smokes cannabis. And it's like, hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, this is how that person has kind of developed their, their, their mastered their craft, you know, really. And so it's just kind of them two, you know, like you said, running parallel, and I kind of want to see them, you know, cross over a little bit more. You guys have both mentioned education. And, you know, this is one of the reasons why we're doing this here is because I finally, you know, finished this program with Guelph. This is, you know, the capstone I've taken, you know, for three years. I remember messaging Tad and just really being uh, nervous about what direction I should take. And this was seemed to be, you know, again, from a large public, the largest public university in the country, uh, you know, a little bit different regulations. It seems to be a pretty good value proposition for education. Basically, I'm trying to lead into this conversation where there's some of these programs out here that are promising people to be master growers for $6.99 US. And so I kind of wanted both of you guys to speak on a little bit, you know, on that education path. What is, you know, what is a viable kind of option for some of these folks who want to continue to work like I do? Do they look for a program like this? Do they take that 699 program and just kind of wing it and see how far that gets them? What really is kind of from your guys' perspective, which way, you know, us legacy growers can really, you know, I call it, you know, fusing stoner stoner science with real science. Uh, So, you know, how efficiently and what is kind of the best way for folks like us to do that in this current environment? That's a good question. It's something that I've been thinking about and working on for a long time, just trying to, you know, a lot of people want to get into cannabis or they've been in the industry for a long time and they want to understand traditional horticulture techniques and they want to understand what are kind of the best practices for cannabis cultivation indoors, greenhouse, outdoors. And if you if you approach like a traditional academic institution that tries to put on these courses, a lot of college programs are popping up, a lot of, you know, university courses are popping up and they, they have a ver- varying degrees of 
I think, validity. Um, the Guelph program, I know, is really good. But um, basically, if you, if you just want to get like a traditional horticulture um, back, like training, then that's available. Uh, and then having a bit of cannabis introduced there, I think, is a good thing. But I don't think having too heavy of a cannabis kind of teaching from, you know, previous master growers or things like that. It's really that it's useful. It's good to get that hands-on experience, but I think it's more important to understand how to digest, how to like, how to learn effectively, you know, how, how to read an article, like a new publication that comes out on cannabis and how to understand what that means, how to uh, take one practice from another crop and apply it to cannabis, understand like what kind of crop is cannabis and, you know, what is it similar to and what things should you draw on, what things should you not. Uh, and so working with traditional horticultural scientists and, and people teaching that is, is a great thing. And I think they just have to understand that, you know, cannabis is not like every other crop. They have to be open-minded as well. Uh, you know, it's, it's a super high value crop. It's, uh, you know, it's produced for, for resin rather than for fruit or, you know, it's, it, there's, there's some differences and you just have, as long as that's kind of understood and made clear in the course, I think that there's a lot to learn and a lot to benefit from. Yeah, I would add there's a, you know, there's a great program uh, here in Washington State at Lake Washington College um, called, a, they call it a growers program where they took out some of the plant ID stuff, but left all the plant botany aspects. Um, I would highly recommend that. But I think as a grower, you, I see a lot of people that just say, I want to work in the cannabis industry. Well, I think you need to really redefine your goals and figure out what part of that industry you want to be a part of, even if you want to be on the cultivation side, because there's a massive difference between growing in a greenhouse versus growing in a field versus growing indoors. And um, I think it's a good idea to kind of at least have an idea of where you want to end up. Um, So that's kind of where I would start is just figuring out what your goals are in the industry. Um, I'm, I'm pretty skeptical about any program that can teach you something quickly because um, in my experience, a lot of it takes time and it takes mistakes and it takes uh, spending time with plants and they don't have to be cannabis plants, but they have to be time with plants. And uh, so I I would, if if I were to recommend something, it would probably be, you know, a hands-on program um, like the one that I'm familiar with at Lake Washington College uh, where, you know, it's just a certificate program, but um, you're getting that hands-on experience. You're with, you know, people, that have degrees in horticulture. And then once you understand how a plant, you know, feeds, how soil sort of functions and works and and a little bit about that relationship, then you can take that knowledge and always apply it to cannabis. Um, That works really well. My concern with going the other route is you get a master grower and let's say they're, they're a wonderful grower and they're really good at growing plants with you know, advanced nutrients. Well, they probably don't understand the mechanisms behind why those nutrients may do what they do or how they could improve them or how they may be able to adjust them. So being able to follow a feeding schedule and being able to, you know, actually cultivate um, plants and understand why things are working the way they are, are two very different skill sets um, with one being a lot more valuable than the other. Mm-hmm. For sure. There's um, I, I, to add. There's a there's a really good program in in Kitchener, Canada, at Niagara College. They have a, a college program that's quite hands-on. Sounds similar to what you're describing, Ted. Um, and it's at a very like incredible horticultural college. And they've they've developed a cannabis program, and they've done a lot of really good work. And ever, you know, the, the the students coming out of there are very hireable. And we've had a lot of them work uh, with me. Like, I've had worked with several of them various capacities and it's been pretty impressive. So that's a good option if, if someone's looking in Canada. 
Yeah. One other thing I just want to mention really quickly is you touched on being able to understand and read research. I don't think you can overstate how important that is. Um, I have a master's degree in special education, totally unrelated, but that gave me the ability to understand experimental design, statistical mm -hmm. analysis. And so I can, I can read a research paper and say, okay, well, here's the potential flaws or limitations of this paper. You know, one thing that I do see is people will read a paper and then they apply that indiscriminately, you know, whether the work was done on corn, whether the work had a small end value, you know, whether the work wasn't even very statistically significant. And that's where I think that, that be ability to really understand research so you can draw appropriate conclusions really allows you to grow and learn uh, most effectively. Yeah, I think every any program should have like a critical thinking aspect to it because it's, it's something that <laughs> yeah. is lacking in our education system altogether, I think. Yeah, that's the part that I really enjoy about the Guelph program is they're very they're very focused on the discussion aspect of these courses and making sure that you're interacting with your fellow classmates, that you're interacting with your instructors. I mean, you know, I was telling Darren, like, I sent a couple of pictures because, you know, we had to grow tomatoes. That was one of our, you know, things in one of the modules throughout the course was grow some tomato plants. So, of course, you know, put them in the tents because that's the, <laughs> you know, it's uh, courses starting in September in the Pacific Northwest. So I'm not going to put a 88 day variety outside. It's just not going to work for me. So I get these Marvel tomatoes and put them in there. They do pretty well. You know, I send pictures of the tomatoes. But Tad, I had like one finger of a cannabis leaf hanging in one of the pictures that I forgot to crop out. And the instructor was just like, hey, those tomatoes look good, but I saw that leaf in there. Can you send me more pictures of those plants, please? <laughs> and, oh. and it's been wonderful. You know, I made that instant connection with somebody who has a master's degree you know, in agronomy. And it was like, okay. And he's just been open the entire time. You know, I've had that resource for two years, that connection to reach out all the time with these, you know, Hell, things that you've said on your podcast, I've reached out and say, hey, I heard this. What do you think? And it's just been that, you know, again, that kind of bridging the culture where I realized the value between the two. Uh, and I know that, again, you know, we really don't speak the same language as legacy growers. There's some, you know, kind of middle path. So I appreciate the both of you, you know, pointing out some programs, some potential pathways so that we can, you know, gain some tools as growers. And then, you know, really on the other side of it, because this is a two way road, right? What can people with traditional horticulture backgrounds do to really bond with this legacy grower and understand and kind of get through that and, you know, learn some of that information? What do you think can happen in that direction? I think they just got to live it and get in the industry and spend some time, you know, seeing the differences. They already have the traditional background, uh, grow some cannabis plants, see the, see the difficulties and, and kind of, the met that you know the different mentalities in, in a cannabis facility compared to in other facilities it's just experience at that point i believe yeah there's definitely things i mean cannabis being photoperiodic is is huge and that's something that a lot of you know more traditional horticulturists vegetable growers aren't you know familiar with um dealing with cannabis specific plants like the cannabis aphid or hemp russet uh, those are going to be totally new to a lot of grow, a lot of you know horticultural growers. So um, I agree. Yeah, you got to get out there and you got to spend time. And um, you know, every facility is going to be different. Every facility is going to have its challenges. And uh, I think you learn a lot just being hands on. Um, you know, this isn't a this isn't a theoretical thing. Um, you really have to get out there and and grow the plants on a daily basis to understand them. 
I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the, the the pest difference too, because that's that's huge. Cannabis in most jurisdictions is pretty much organic. Like you must you pretty much need to grow organic. Like you're not using traditional uh, pesticides or pesticides anything like that. And most growers are not used to that. Most growers are not producing organically if they have a traditional horticulture background. And that's a there's a big knowledge gap. Like there's a there's a deficit in cannabis research in general, like we talked about, but there's a huge deficit in just organic production for all crops. Uh, and so if you're trying to get into effectively organic cannabis production, you know, you're not left with much uh, to learn from. It's a, it's quite a challenging crop to grow compared to most conventional crops. You don't have the same tools. And I would also add like uh, traditional agronomy and soil science is focused on soils, not soilless media. And there is a huge difference between potting soil and actual soil and how we approach it and how we manage it. Um, and so that's just something to be aware of too. Um, I've discovered as you know, from talking to a lot of soil scientists is they're really, uh, they're a little bewildered when it comes to talking about soilless media, because it's just not something that they've studied or really understand fully. And it, it, it's a very different creature than, than the actual soil. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's like my training, uh, is exclusively horticulture. So, exclusively soilless and i know almost nothing about producing crops in soil like i, I admit yeah. that like, i'm not going to you know, advise anyone on how to grow cannabis or any other crop in the field uh it, it's just it, they're, they're two separate areas of, of expertise it's interesting that you two mentioned that as well because that's having those discussions with people in management too is very difficult they want to have this you know conversation with soil and soilless like it's just you can flutter between it and there's just so many different risk profiles involved and oh yeah it's <laughs> i really appreciate you pointed that one out that's uh that's a golden gem right there for everyone um I, I, thank you for touching on that i want to move a little bit forward because there's a couple other topics i wanted to touch on here uh and tad you've mentioned you know you're doing some uh, interesting things with gold leaf uh and i really want to you know bring it uh, that kind of sustainability forward uh, there there are these massive massive facilities that are being put out there and they are not considering their footprint there no consideration whatsoever uh, of what's happened you know to communities like salinas california for example uh, where their drinking water uh, is you know the ppm is it's leaked into the groundwater the ppm coming out of the tap is like 2000 2600 just not not good stuff happening uh, some companies up here, you know, Canada claim to be sustainable, et cetera. You know, the only one I could even think of that's even close again, you know, David Perron over there uh, at T-God, who's, you know, using his soil over and over again. I think that's the only only person that's really close that I've met uh, out there. You know, what are some of these things? You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be soil, but I know that's kind of one of the biggest things or the biggest kind of cost of production that's happening. There's, you know, throwing out rock wool cubes or getting rid of the cocoa bags after we're done what's honestly like one thing out of the gate and you know it's open for both of you to take first there whichever you want to go but you know what is one thing that cannabis companies can do right away i know that there are a few things you know but what what's one thing that they can do right away i have some thoughts but i know tad you, you talk about this a lot more and probably think about this a lot more than i do so maybe oh uh, you you go ahead i'll i'll, I'll go after <laughs> okay cool. uh, so i'm going to talk in the lens of of uh soilless culture indoor greenhouse primarily uh 
So there's a lot of things you can learn from uh, traditional greenhouse production. In the Netherlands, for example, you know they're, they're required to recirculate all of their nutrient solution. They can't have any nutrients coming out of their, their drain water. Um, and so it, it's likely that we're going to see similar regulations happen in Canada. So this is something that growers have to think about. They should be thinking about from a sustainability perspective, but also they're going to likely be mandated to, do, to be more sustainable. So they should start thinking about it now so they don't get thrown off guard. Uh, a couple things you can do is to learn how to recirculate nutrient solution if you are growing uh, using conventional fertilizers. Uh, that's big. You know, that's not th that type of technology is something that is very well established in traditional horticulture, and you can pretty much copy exactly the technology that's out there. You can use existing technologies. It's not that difficult. It just kind of requires a little bit more knowledge and, and, and expertise. And but there are you know people out there that know how to do this you know reach out to a consultant or um someone who's done this in other traditional crops so basically when you're you've, you've used your your nutrient solution you contain it in a reservoir treat it somehow uh, adjust the nutrient ratios and then re-deliver it to your crops uh, there's also kind of a fixation in cannabis growers with using pure water like reverse osmosis or deionized water and that's great like the idea behind that is you um, you can give your plants exactly what they need you know, to the part per million of each element, which is great in theory, but that's not really something that's common in, in most traditional crops. It's very wasteful uh, in terms of water, and it's also expensive. The, the, the cost of the RO membranes and uh, the, the, you know, the, the equipment costs and getting that set up is really high. And if you, if you do some due diligence before, uh, before you set up your irrigation, system uh, you do water testing regular water testing then often i would say more often than not you can use you know minimal filtration or just you know lesser less wasteful or less expensive types of filtration and then you know you're you're, you're wasting less water you're spending less money and i've not seen any detriment to the crop from not using ro if your water quality is good so those are kind of the the two main things that come to mind for me yeah. Okay. So, I mean, this topic is probably one we could spend hundreds of hours on. It's pretty broad. Um, the, the industry, the cannabis industry in general is extremely wasteful. It produces a lot of waste streams. Um, one of the primary ones is packaging, which really doesn't have a lot to do with cultivation, but it's something to consider. Also where we're sourcing our nutrients, how we're receiving and packaging our nutrients, you know, looking at, at liquid nutrients versus powders. Uh, the powders are obviously a lot more sustainable. Um, but companies can add, you know, 1% nutrients and 99% water and then sell that for a lot more money with a fancy label. So part of it is just moving towards more sustainable, uh, sources of nutrients, um, you know, being, and I'm going to, I'm going to talk about indoor cultivation using soilless media. So we, we use soil and soilless, I think too, uh, interchangeably when we're talking, no one's really cultivating indoors with actual soil. Um, it's all soilless media. And so um, I, I guess what I want to what I want to get at here is um, all of these waste streams. So as as we're cultivating, you know, we're, we're using a media at the end of that cycle, that media is, is typically thrown out. Um, traditionally, it would be high in phosphates, I would argue nitrates in a lot of cases, too, um, which would surprise some people. But um, that is then, you know, contaminating our groundwater, causing other issues down the road. And so what, what Darren was talking about is reusing some of these things. And you are seeing that in the horticulture industry. You know, Rockwell has been, been banned in Europe. Um, 
you know, we're looking at ways to, you know, treat the environment a little bit better. Now, I'm, a, I'm an organic grower myself. Um, we give up a little bit by being organic. We give up a little bit of our control over our, um, over our nutrients and our fertility, but, but I believe we gain that back through the you know, biological symbiosis that we get and nutrient cycling from the microorganisms interactions with the plant and the plant roots. Um, so the way I'm most familiar with growing is reusing, you know, what, what you mentioned with tea God with uh, my good friend, David is, you know, keeping that soil, in place. Um, well, actually I, I just switched again, keeping that, uh, soilless media in place and reusing it and reamending it cycle after cycle. Now, the challenge with that is, and this is where we differ from traditional horticulture is, is that, uh, from an IPM perspective, it's, it's really, really challenging because we're not removing that media. We're not, we're not reducing, reducing necessarily our pest pressure as much as we would like between cycles. We can still be clean. We can still use good IBM practices, but it's much, much harder to keep uh, pests below an economic threshold in this type of a system. But it's definitely very doable. We also have to look at how do we properly reamend these soils so that we're maximizing our fertility because this crop is so valuable. We don't want to have cycles where we're off, where we're short potassium and you know our, our our buds don't fully um fully grow to their maximum potential so you know all of this has to be managed and balanced and we're getting better and better at it um but you know these are the ways i see us i guess potentially improving um our sustainability and, and realistically with climate change i see the cannabis industry as sort of the leaders in how we're going to sustainably cultivate vegetables and food crops down the road because it's there's going to be places you know like salinas where we're no longer our our, our population density is going to be so high and our inability to grow crops in those areas is going to be so high and the cost of transportation is going to be so high that we're going to have to move to indoor cultivation so that means um learning you know using sustainable forms of electricity uh reducing our water inputs which is something that controlled environment agriculture offers us over traditional field um you know field cropping so there are benefits to indoor cultivation um the sustainable sustainability question is a big one and i i think there's a lot we could talk about on it but i guess that's what i wanted to touch on you know sort of quickly <laughs> <laughs> yeah i knew that was going to be a lightning rod uh for sure and you know it's you know why i reached out to the both of you <laughs> especially you tad i mean i've heard you go about it several times you know in, in different uh strains over the you know what are we 80 some episodes 70 plus some episodes somewhere in there man so uh wow, we're getting up there <laughs> yeah oh, you know one other thing i wanted to mention before i forget is darren mentioned ro water well the other thing we're seeing with people using ro water is it's stripping metals and we're testing for heavy metals on this crop which is not something we've ever done with vegetables or traditionally with cannabis and we're finding higher heavy metal levels in some of the buds so that's something to be aware of too is that water wants to bond with something if if it's coming in contact with with uh things that are high in heavy metals that could be a potential issue down the road yeah. too um so i'm I'm not a fan of our or water, but I've definitely worked with people that are in areas where like Oklahoma, for example, where the water quality is so poor and there's certain things that you just can't filter out any other way effectively mm -hmm. um, to where it isn't, it is sort of a last resort, but then I like to remineralize that water before bringing it to my crop. Um, mm -hmm. Because, you know, if you, if you add calcium or if your water is very, you know, calcareous, then you just have to be aware of that, uh, you know, as, as someone who's, you know, grows with, uh, with chemicals you just need to adjust for that in your in your nutrient load uh, your fertigation program and that's that's i think what darren was getting at with with how he manages um you know through water testing mm -hmm. 
So I just to add to what you said, I, I really like what you said about the fact that, you know, we cannabis is the, it's kind of like the, cannabis is now the leading edge of technology for indoor agriculture. Like when, when, when other people in my, in my lab initially were sending horticulture and, and myself included, the, the funding was coming from, we were doing indoor plant production. So indoor like warehouses and, and greenhouse, things like that. The funding was coming from either, you know, high value vegetables or, you know, space research, how to grow plants in space or in the Arctic. And these are like kind of these fringe things. But now there's this high value crop that's being produced all over the place that's driving technology forward uh, in the industry. It's going to bring tons of funding for research. And even something like uh, LED lighting, like LED lighting was almost designed exactly for cannabis like the, the reason why led lighting has progressed so quickly has been because cannabis growers are, are using it uh, and they were even a, the early adopters of led lighting before commercial greenhouse growers were using it so i think that there's a lot of potential for the, the you know the economics the economics of cannabis to drive forth indoor plant production in general which is a really really exciting thing wow i didn't expect to take that away from this discussion today it uh yeah it's like from the horticulture side, you're generally excited about cannabis for research purposes. And I know we already touched on it earlier as well, Tad, about, you know, and they're making sure that you understand these uh, research papers that you're reading. Uh, it's one of the wonderful mm -hmm. opportunities that we have on Resonate Radio. We do Canna Book Club every single week. We bring out a paper, we break it down and, you know, bring it out to the masses. Dr. Kaplan is going to be one of our newest panel members on there, uh, along with Dr. Anna, uh, who's a cannabis geneticist, PhD in cannabis genetics. So it's a really interesting conversation where we kind of get to break these down. And, you know, like you said, that's one of the things that really, you know, sends me in a way here is, you know, people take these papers and they just think it's absolute without reading the materials and methods and understanding, like, how did they come to these conclusions? And it's really telling uh, when you dig into those uh, and trying to get into these conclusions. I think same way with the sustainability, there's a lot of conclusions that we can draw. I mean, this RO conversation, I know there's a few people right away that are going to be messaging, you know, this is, that's pretty much the automatic thing that you do in the large facilities here in Canada. I haven't been into one that does not have an RO system or that conversation is brought to the forefront. Uh, the other thing which I think isn't really thought about as far as management is concerned or these, you know, in regards to nutrition is what I'm trying to, this is, this is one that really bugs me. So I'm going to try and make it as cohesive as possible, but it makes me really frustrated is that, you know, they make these decisions to, you know, bring in uh, powdered nutrients, you know, let's finally start mixing our own salts. Let's stop paying for 93% water. Well, the full evolution of that thought needs to include irrigation areas that are climate controlled. If it's minus 40 degrees Celsius, and apologies, I don't have the Fahrenheit, but very cold, minus 40, I think it's even at that point, right? Minus 40, minus 40 Fahrenheit Celsius. It's, it's yeah, Tad, you probably haven't seen a temperature like that, my friend. It's, it's unbelievable, but that's what they're bringing in. They're not climate controlling the hallways of the grow facilities. So when you're trying to mix, that's where your irrigation is. So when you're trying to mix, you know, silica, for example, and it's just not doing its thing it's just hanging out into the tank and everyone's looking at you like oh it's not mixing together why did you suggest you know it's a very interesting conversation where they make one step forward and kind of go two steps back where yeah you know it's things that you just not even consider where 
you know, I'd love to see them go that, but they don't have basic things like a controlled environment for irrigation to make that happen. They don't understand the value of water temperature or the order of the nutrients and how they're supposed to go forward. So there's, you know, again, they are trying some of these sustainability moves, but doing it really, you know, just for the sake of saying it's sustainable without having these fully flowed out functioning thoughts of how it's going to be, you know, executed to the crop. Uh, and ensure the health gets there. So that's one thing that I wanted to point out that, you know, not a lot of people, you know, the idea sounds great uh, for sure. Let's start mixing your own nutrients. Let's get this in place. But there could be something, you know, very interesting like that where you don't even have your water temperature. And it's, you know, I know, Darren, you might know this, right? Making that cell to management going, okay, well, we need heaters for the irrigation tanks. And, you know, then you're making that ask for money and it becomes a very different situation than you know just trying to be sustainable uh it's it's a tough battle sometimes in these places guys <laughs> it really yeah. is no, it's, it, it's just really important in general uh, i agree with you the, to think of the cultivation system holistically and that's something that i think is is can be challenging uh if you're not used to growing in various types of cultivation systems because you know you make one change there's so many examples you know you switch to leds or you you change the salts from from liquids or you're adding another component to your fertigation system everything needs to be uh, thought of holistically data needs to be collected consistently and analyzed and you know looking at things uh, kind of systematically and making minor changes and not kind of just trying to change everything at once i've seen so many failures where you know the, the 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 fertilizer one's the most the, the most common example where they switch from liquid to, to salts and i've seen so many examples of people switching back because they don't they're not you know they're not patient enough to to see how it affects everything else or maybe they don't even understand how it is affecting everything else because they don't understand the system as a whole but uh you know that could be one of the major um downsides if you don't think of the system kind of as a whole yeah, I would I would jump in and, and say um, too, just to differentiate. Like uh, my background is in organic production. Um, the way that we're producing crops in the commercial facilities here in Washington that I work with, and Grant, you know, there's there's people doing this all over the country, uh, and it's not unique to our area, but is through growing in you know multiple plants in the same uh, the same media or or bed of soil and then we are then keeping that soil in place re-amending it like we would you know a traditional soil you know outdoors in a field and then getting it ready for the next crop cycle and we're able to do this um through soil testing you know and and maintain our fertility at a level that allows us to get a consistent yield um, i'm not going to lie there's a lot of challenges around it that are very different than the challenges that you know darren faces in in his lab um, but it is something we've been doing now for over a decade here in the legal market in Washington and you know, in, with helping others all over the country. Um, that being said, if I were to try and take, uh, you know, and grow in a different methodology, like using mineral salts, I would, I would essentially be starting from scratch because it's not something that I'm familiar with. I know what, you know, certain excesses and deficiencies look like on a soil test in the system that I'm familiar with. I know expect for cost of production, um, you know, how to deal with these issues because I've seen them, but they're all within, the realm of you know this type of organic production um there's a lot of different ways to grow a cannabis plant i'm not here to argue that one's better than another um but i think when we're evaluating them we do need to look at you know how sustainable are they what's our cost of production 
um, in regards to the amount of labor required, regards to the amount of inputs, where are these inputs coming from? You know, um, what's the quality of our final crop? What's the marketability of our final crop? All of these things are, are variables that we need to factor in when we're deciding our methodology. And then getting the right person in place that can actually execute uh, for you is huge because, um, like, like I said, I couldn't go into a facility running mineral salts and expect to be able to run it effectively uh, without a huge learning curve. Um, and that would go vice versa. So just something to think about. And it's, I think this is a good time for me to ask you, Ted, because I've heard you mention it a few times in your episodes there. But what's kind of the longest time frame that you've seen that kind of reusage of soils in the commercial facility here, just to kind of give people idea? Because I don't think they really understand it. I've yeah. mentioned this a few times, but I'd love for you to just explicitly let everybody know. <laughs> I think the longest current right now is probably gold leaf. And we just recently, like last year, we tested their soil for heavy metals. We tested, um, the buds growing in it for um, heavy metals. We tested it by standards in Vegas and in Michigan because they're a lot tighter than here in Washington. And it passed all of those. Um, and, and their soil now is, uh, I want to say it's like eight or nine years old, um, five, five cycles a year. Um, they have multiple, you know, what, what do we call rooms or growth chambers? And then they, they harvest every 10 days. So they're constantly in a, in a state of harvest perpetually, but each room is its own harvest and, and, and system. And, uh, you know, they're one of the top producers in terms of quality here in the, in, in Washington state, they have a wonderful reputation. Um, I think that's the longest to date in terms of the system that we're using. Um, but one Are thing you- I wanted to mention as we're talking about this really quick, the one thing that I think all cannabis companies fall short on is they don't do enough testing, whether that's soil testing, nutrient testing, water testing. It's something that management doesn't want to spend money on, but they absolutely should. Um, so I just want to throw that out there. Oh, yeah, that's, I forget. Uh, yeah, that's, one second, guys, if I can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you got sound effects even? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got the full board here, Tad. I mean, I have to. That's just a drop the mic moment. Right. I can't even. And as being someone who's been just thrown into an R&D process without any background in reading our standard operating procedures and then trying to understand going through. Whoa. Yeah, that's I can't even. Yeah, can't say enough to that. Go ahead. Darren. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that I agree. That's something that you know, as a consultant now uh, working with cannabis facilities of various types, it's something that we push very heavily is data collection and not just, you know, all, everything that you mentioned, Tad, but also just taking consistent measurements like physical measurements taking photos and keeping it consistently to track changes uh it's something that you're right that it's it's hard to convince people to spend money on but once you can make it once you can start making changes that are founded on data that you've already collected that you feel good about it just it's a game changer so like uh, one of the one of the things we're doing um with my consulting company is developing a tool for growers to collect and store data and, and helping them collect the right types of data, like how to do a pour through, for example, if using, you know, and having a video or something and collecting the data and storing it by grow room. And then you can track changes through that as well. Just trying to make it as simple as possible because the more facilities that, that get on board with data collection and uh, analysis and interpretation, I think the better off that the industry will be. I have seen people go the other route too, where they just collect too much data, but it's all, um, it's not focused towards any actual goal. So you really have to take, yeah, you have to take time and really decide what your goals are and what your targets are and why you're collecting whatever data you are. Mm -hmm. And then that allows you to make 
you know, good management decisions. Um, yeah. The other thing I see is, is scouting, you know, uh, people don't want to dedicate the labor or set aside the time to really um, track and manage their scouting for pests in their facility. And that's, that's a really big deal because too many times um, people skate on by and say, you know, I don't get powdery mildew or I don't have broad mites or, or whatever the issue is. And, but then when it does pop up, um, they're not prepared for it because they haven't mm -hmm. been checking their plants consistently and they don't have a setup to where they can know where their hotspots are, where they can know um, how to treat it. They're not doing anything preventatively, whether that's sprays or beneficial insects. Uh, mm -hmm. All that stuff's really important um, in staying ahead of the game. Yeah, I, I've seen the on the other end too, where someone will go through a pest issue, and then they'll be for the next I don't know year they'll be over scouting, you know, every room, every day, and that's such a such a waste of resources. Like if you really have a, a structured system, you don't need to do that, uh, and you can still catch things and collect the proper data and make informed decisions. So it's it's, it's all about the balance, yeah. but also yeah, relevant information is key, and not wasting time or not collecting enough information. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I've seen some nightmare situations, you know, 470,000 square feet, and there's only four people on the IPM team. And, you know, it gets a point where, like, why are you even buying the beneficials? You can't get them out onto the floor fast enough. They're dying in the fridge, you know, because it takes three weeks to get them out onto plants. It's not uh, no bueno, <laughs> as they like to say. So it's definitely a, a downflow effect. And yeah, the over data, over data collection is definitely something I know. Um, this is a, a touchy subject with Mr. Jeremy Plum for sure, and about data points and making sure that you're you're very efficient in that collection of things. So I'll uh, yeah definitely uh, send that friendly shout out for everybody. If you want to learn more about data collection points, go research some things about Jeremy, and he'll lead you down the right path. Uh, lastly, mm. the the one thing I want to touch on here, and I'm really really interested to hear this perspective from both of you because I think this is one of the most interesting things um, about the cannabis industry and how we're moving you know in the the legal forefront is really you know the kind of aspect of horticulture with you know kind of plant adaptation uh cannabis has really gone through this unique you know pheno hunt or specific cultivar hunt of thc 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 oh yeah we'll get some cbd varieties in there it's been a really you know moving forward and now we've realized that hey it's not all about the thc everybody it's about other things and so, you know, I know in traditional methods, like you can do seed saving, you can do all of these different kind of concepts because most of these crops have been legal. You know, that's kind of the other thing is the illegality of cannabis has been, you know, it's made it really difficult to carry on some of these genetics from the olden days when, you know, the containers were coming on through uh, from different nations and all these different, you know, things that were happening previously. So I was really interested to get, you know, your guys's opinion on how can you know where we are right now is we're in the trouble essentially you know we have a bunch of these thc cultivars that we don't really know what to do with because the marketing market is starting to change how can we go about that as cannabis growers and really do this in a more efficient manner where we can maybe learn from again from some of the horticulture people who have been able to you know keep some of these heirloom varieties uh through the generations yeah it's a it's a very interesting topic it's something i think about all the time i'm sure the same same with you Todd. um just, just for context on this like the, the 
first off, yeah, there's been breeding for to, towards high THC for a long, for as long as cannabis has been around. You know, it used to be four percent THC, and now it's hitting thirty percent THC in dry flower. It's um, it, it's not. There, there was a study done last year at the University of Colorado where they they pretty much they found that. Uh, people were not get, if they were smoking dry flower, they were not getting any more intoxicated between 16 and 24 percent THC. So there was effectively no difference in how high you get if you're smoking that really, really uh, strong THC cannabis. And it doesn't seem like a big issue, but like if you, if you look at what you're sacrificing by trying breeding towards this high THC, is yeah, all of the all of the the resin, all of the um, the cannabinoids, so the other cannabinoids and terpenes, and it's all produced in the resin of the cannabis plant. And if you have a lot of THC, you're it's taking up space that could otherwise be used for terpenes or for CBD or for other minor cannabinoids. Uh, you just get less less complexity, less smell. Uh, it's a, for I. I personally think it's a less pleasant experience when you have a high THC cultivar, and that's kind of what we're stuck with now. Because when someone buys something at this point in the industry, they're looking at the THC content. Uh, so I don't know if Tad, what, what do you think we can do about do about it as growers? You know, I I would argue that we right now are at a point in history uh, where we have more genetic diversity in this plant than ever before. Um, because of the fact that it's being cultivated on the scale, it's just gone legal, but yet we're not getting the same, um, we're not where we are with, uh, with traditional crops in the sense that like, you know, let's just take apples or tomatoes, for example, you know, you have these varieties that get grown out and they're grown out for a reason. They're grown out because they do well in a certain region. They, they are resistant to certain pests or diseases, or they produce a particular flavor or aroma um, or yield that we find desirable. And so that's what, that's the way I look at cannabis. Well, you know, we have this, this massive genetic diversity. Um, we have a, a plant that, you know, some, some historically probably can't even be grown without systemic pesticides or, uh, systemic fungicides. Um, I think we're going to see, I, I think we're going to see the industry move towards, you know, less diversity, but towards plants that are either easier to grow, or have certain traits that make them more desirable. And I, I'm probably along the way, we're gonna lose some of that diversity and lose some of the potential medicinal compounds as that we're still learning about. I mean, whether that's CBG or, or other, you know, specific cannabinoids that you hear about. Um, so I, I, think it's, I think it's really interesting. Um, one thing I'd like to share is, is there was work done uh, by Dr. A.D. Ray, where they did a bunch of uh, blind, randomized trials, having people try all these different um, cannabis cultivars. And they found that the ones that were most popular were not necessarily the ones that were the highest THC. Um, and so this, this push for THC, I think it really comes out of uh, uh, the legacy black market with this idea that like, if I'm going to pay $20, I want to get as high as possible because I, the whole process to go and get more is, you know, dangerous. I could get in trouble. I could get caught. Um, you know, if I'm going to grow it, I want to grow, I want to grow as high THC as possible. And, and now I think the conversation changes. Um, we're finding an entourage effect with, with cannabis and these cannabinoids, they work together to produce, um, uh, you know, a, an effect, a high that is, is very different than just strictly pure THC. So, um, yeah, I think I think we have to balance all that with branding and marketing and the idea that, you know, it appears that this industry is always looking for a hype strain. You know, you don't find that in 
with apples or tomatoes. You know, you might get a new varietal every year, every other year. You're not getting, you know, these tomato growers or apple growers are not expected in a lot of cases to have to grow, you know, 30 or 40 different cultivars in their facility. And we're talking about doing this in, you know, in an indoor facility, which is just crazy because it creates all of these additional challenges. And because genetic diversity is so great, um, you do see, you know, with your fertigation program almost has to be uh, designed for each specific cultivar because they do grow so differently because of the vast genetic differences. So, oh, I mean, there's so many things we could talk about here, but I, I kind of wanted to just touch on a few of them. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Those are my thoughts. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I'm really looking forward again to that 1998 cut of that Granny Smith, though. She was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I know what apples I like. I'm going to grow those apples over and over again. I don't, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, but that's what I see. Yeah. That's what I see on the horticulture side is like, as a home gardener, I'm going to, there's certain cultivars I can tell you of tomatoes and I'm going to grow every year because I love them. You know, I don't necessarily need the latest and the greatest because I know what I like. It's tried and true, but I, who knows? And, you know, as, as the Budweiser's or the, you know, Syngenta's, whatever these large egg companies come into the picture, you know, how, how they're going to influence the industry is going to be really interesting too, because they're going to be able to produce cannabis cheaper. They're going to produce it. Um, and they're going to flood the market. Now, is the quality going to be the same? Are we going to end up like the wine industry or the beer industry? Uh, you know, who knows? But it's interesting. I think it is. It's a really interesting problem because I think that the genetic diversity now, like you say, it's it's so vast, and there's so many cultivars and so many cuts of each cultivar, and it's you know it's confusing for a consumer. It's confusing for a grower. You know, if if there's a hundred cultivars, um, like from one to a hundred in terms of being genetically different from each other in cannabis, you probably have the same variability or more variability in, in like apples, for example. But instead of having, you know, one, two, three, four, five, all the way up to a hundred, you have, you know, one, 10, 20, 30, like you're, you have that gradation in terms of differences and like a fact or a taste or whatever in traditional horticulture. And we have every variant right now in cannabis, which is confusing for the consumer. Like, you know, if the new cultivar that's coming out has an exciting name, sure, but it's 1% different than the last one you tried, how long are you going to continue to be excited about trying a new cultivar? So I think it's important, even just from a consumer kind of experience standpoint to have these kind of um, distinct physiological or like you know smells of a cultivar that they're used to it's good to have variability but too much variability i think is it's confusing to consumers and it's just not good for growers or consumers so hopefully we get there soon towards kind of fewer but more distinct cultivars that's that's my dream i guess (laughs) yeah Yeah. i'm interested to see where it goes you know it's interesting to hear that you say that the diversity is very vast um that's yeah i can definitely understand that to a point i i had a very narrow focus on that question uh and you opened my eyes up a little bit on that one because yeah it's, it's definitely true on the other side of it i can understand that for sure it's, it's very interesting and i mean being a designated grower up here i used to have my designated grower uh certification with health canada so i could grow for other people uh, that have illnesses but don't have the ability to grow uh, I wouldn't include the, I would get it tested, but I wouldn't include the values with them just to see, you know, what their thoughts was. And I mean, the 12 to 16% was always better than the 20 plus every I, single I do, time, yeah. every single I, time. I do the same thing. Yeah. I grow, I grow at home 
several different cultivars and I I'll give blind samples to any cannabis grower that I know, like a big pack, and I'll fill, get them to fill in surveys based on like the numbered cultivars. And I've been doing this for a while. I'm, it's never been the case that the high THC cultivars are, are the best. It's always kind of like, often it's the lowest, you know, with like the, or like um, land race varieties. It's, it's uh, hopefully th- that disconnect kind of goes away soon when, when the consumer becomes more informed. I wanted to float out there and I don't know I, if any, go ahead, Tad, sorry. Oh, I was going to say I had two other thoughts. So one was um, my, my buddy, Jeff Lowenfels, who wrote Teen with Microbes and a bunch of other teeny books. Um, one of the things he, he was asked the question of what is, uh, you know, what the strongest, most potent weed he'd ever smoked was. And he said, you know, I don't go for that. If, if I want more, I'll just take, I'll just take another puff or another hit. Like, you don't need the highest THC. And then at the same conference, uh, randomly, it was a Canacon, uh, I went and listened to Kyle Cushman and he gave this whole rant of how, you know, all these people, all these kids that are doing dabs all the time, like just have a little flower. You don't need to be blasted out of your mind all the time. It's not about being, you know, as high as possible. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not a heavy user, so I can't really comment as to all the nuances and intricacies of, you know, canvas flower, but um, I, I can appreciate both of those points. And then um, Jeremy Plum's big push is how do we produce, you know, consistent uh, chemotype expression, which means that the cannabis that's being produced is consistently going to be the same chemical expression. So the same levels of THC, the same minor cannabinoids, the same terpene expression, because if you find something as a medical patient that works for you, um, you know, let's say it helps with your seizures or helps with your nausea. When you go back and rebuy, you know, whatever that is, Mac or OG Kush or, you know, blue dream. And it's completely different because the cultivation itself changed because these plants can change dramatically with just, slight nutrient changes, slight environmental changes. So that's the other thing in this industry that I think we really need to work towards is how do we produce consistent chemistries in the leaf matter in the bud so that medical patients can have consistent medical outcomes. Because if we want to talk about this plant and its benefits beyond recreational benefits and, and really what it, its medicinal properties are, then we really need to look at how we can produce it consistently. And I think that's a really admirable goal on Jeremy's part. And, um, it's something that him and I have actually been, we're, we're working a lot more closely together these days um, on, on this. And uh, I, I just thought that was something to add to discussion before. Uh, You're good. That's going to set me into a tangent about how, you know, <laughs> medical cannabis has been completely destroyed up here in Canada and it's just all mm-hmm. a recreational game. And that's it is, ugh, I think that's where the secret lies is having those instilled, like, you know, having a quality management system that your growers are going to follow so that you know what those outcomes are going to be so that you do the same thing every single time. So when things go wrong, you can troubleshoot your process and understand. Uh, now, you know, I'm Canadian. I said process, but you can troubleshoot the process and understand, you know, really, you know, where it went wrong. And I think that's missing in this system. Uh, you know, it's as a medical patient up here in Canada, I am extremely, uh, oh, yeah, crushed, disheartened, all of the above, uh, many, many words that can follow that because of going into these facilities and seeing that transition from medical to recreational and really how it's, yeah, 
it's really changed my viewpoint on the industry in that way. It's it's frustrating. So yeah, big shout to that. I have noticed that that's Jeremy's you know uh, new title is really focusing on the science of production. Uh, instead of just having kind of that overarching, you know, director of cultivation, I've known that's a very, very interesting. And, you know, again, kind of pairing that with what you said in the beginning, uh, Tad is, you know, really understanding what you want to do in the industry and kind of finding that niche because I didn't know that production science was going to be one of the things in the cannabis industry, you know, and he really carved that out and showing that passion and, you know, going through it. So I think that's a really good tie in for that sort of stuff as well as kind of finding what you want to do in the industry. You never know. Yeah. Uh, so with that, uh, I guess we'll mind as well, we'll, mind as well wrap that up. Uh, I've kept you guys for over an hour. I said, you know, maximum an hour, 10 or so. So I'm going to make sure that I respect your time in that way. Darren, Tad, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for holding on with my nervousness. I don't you don't know if you noticed, but I was wicked nervous in the beginning a little bit. It, uh, yeah, I know it sounds weird, but you two guys, I know I got over it with Darren a little bit, but yeah, Tad, you make me nervous as hell because you're on my bucket list of people I wanted to talk to in the industry. So um, yeah, I well, definitely I'm, got to I'm do honored, that. Man. Thank so, you. Yeah, no, and again, thank you for pushing me to do this Guelph program. I can't believe I'm at the end of it, man. It took three years. Uh, but I'm so I could have finished it one semester early, but, you know, life is life. And I really appreciate that conversation and responding back and being a human being. Uh, you're doing some incredible things with your podcast that, again, I try and tell everybody about. Uh, so shout out to you, Darren. Keep on doing the science thing, man. That's what we need. We need people to focus on that research and development that is so damn important i can't even stress that enough uh to you know the appropriate cannabis consumer so yeah for you two showing up and doing this with me unbelievable value for the community here at resonate radio uh hope to have you again sometime and uh yeah thank you so much do you guys want to shout out your socials if there's anywhere that uh, people want to reach out to you can go ahead and do that uh now go ahead dr kaplan yeah uh, thanks a lot for having me Corey. it's a great conversation good talking to you tad again uh Yes. Yeah, so, uh, so, like I said before, I'm a cannabis consultant now, working with production facilities. So, if anyone has any questions or, or wants to learn more about data collection or how to run an, uh, a production facility efficiently or reduce costs, increase quality yield, that's kind of my focus now. So, you can reach out on LinkedIn or uh, I can post my email uh, to Corey afterwards. Great conversation again, and uh, hopefully, we'll have some more soon. Thanks again. Um, yeah, I just want to say thank you again, Corey, for the opportunity. And uh, Dr. Kaplan, always a pleasure to see you. And I really am grateful for all the, the research and work that you're doing for our industry right now. Um, I, I really appreciate that. Uh, if folks want to get a hold of me, it's uh, it's pretty easy. It's Keep It Simple Organics. Uh, just go to kisorganics.com and you can check out links to the podcast. I have some blog posts um, where we share some of the research we've done internally. And then uh, we sell products to the industry and that's how uh, I stay in business. So uh, <laughs> yeah, you can check it all out. And thanks, uh, thanks again for the opportunity. Anytime. There you have it, folks. Another episode of Resonate Radio in the Books. You can follow us on all the major platforms that give you that podcast. Please leave us a review, a five-star rating, and always a download. Join our Telegram chat. You can hit us up at on Instagram at Team Resonate. We will see you all again shortly. Thank you so much, everybody.
Thanks again to Dr. Kaplan and Tad Hussey for joining me on this special edition of Resonate Radio. So excited that we got to have this opportunity. I've been listening to Tad's podcast since day one. It's been a huge influence uh, on my path, as I mentioned. Uh, if it, a lot of it wasn't for Tad, I don't know if I get that final push to go and take this Guelph course. So really excited that I'm finally at the end of it. And this is going to be a part of it. Uh, Tad Hussey is a very brilliant mind and Dr. Kaplan, who's conducted uh, an enormous amount of research papers for us here in the industry. Uh, just a, a true honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much to the both of you again for joining me. Thanks to Mr. Ward, who uh, is going to go through all of this content and, uh, you know, hopefully understand. I have learned a heck of a lot in the last three years. It's been unbelievable. So thank you to the University of Guelph again for taking me on this journey. It's been absolutely wonderful. I can't wait to continue on this journey of mine to imprint this knowledge onto other folks uh, around the world as it already has. Uh, you know, the United States, Colombia, Portugal, who knows uh, what's next for us here at Resonate Cannabis Incorporated. And who knows what's next here at Resonate Radio. Thanks again for the download, the follow, leave a review if you can. It's a huge help. And we'll see you all again soon in the next episode of Resonate Radio. Take care, everybody. Ooh, baby, baby.